Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Gobble, gobble. And today we are talking Bird Box. The yeah. Netflix film adaptation of the novel by Josh Mallerman? I think that is actually 100% correct. Mallerman. Nice. Directed by Suzanne Beer. And starring... Uh, Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock and John Malkovich. Yes, and Lil Ray Rel Howery. Who was that? Just, who, who, who did he play? He he was the um the grocery store worker. Oh, the grocery store guy. Well, yeah. you know, he didn't last because he was stand out in um in uh get out. Yeah. Now. This this film is, is has a lot of buzz around it, or should I say, some chirps? They've been squawking about this since around Thanksgiving. Yep, um, both positive Sorry. and negative. <laughs> Had to do that. It's actually caused quite the sensation of people who are trying to emulate the the main um, mechanic of the movie and drive around while they are blindfolded. Why the fuck would you do that? That's just dumb. I, I saw that. I saw that sequence, and I was like, "This is the dumbest idea ever." I mean, it, it's you know, it makes sense in the in the movie, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, right? So, uh, basically, the premise is you have these unknown creatures who, to see them you fail your sanity roll automatically and go stark raving NPC mad. You become an NPC and you um, kill yourself. Mm. It, in the book, it's a little bit more. You um, start hurting people and then kill yourself. Right. Uh, but in, in the movie, it's like you you just immediately drop what you're doing and, and just find the closest way to end your life. Right, right. Um, in the film, the, the madness is usually accompanied by some sort of vision. Right or hallucination, um, the saddest day of your life, or the most horrible thing that's ever happened, kind of thing. They kind of like some of the different characters give out different explanations, and some of them are presented as explanations, and some are presented as folklore. Mm -hmm. Now, the way the way this narrative is constructed is that it is. Uh, it begins with Sandra Bullock's character packing uh, two children, boy and girl, yes. <laughs> into a boat for a, a trip down the river to a sanctuary that is perfectly safe from these creatures. Right. We assume she that they're is, creatures. She is a modern-day warrior with a mean, mm -hmm. mean stride. Right. Um, and it flashes back and forth between the trip down the river... And the beginning of the end, if yeah, you will, the, the apocalypse. I mean, that's it's a right. it's an apocalypse. It's an apocalyptic movie. Yeah. And you know, once once the apocalypse strikes America, it uh, drives people together. They you know people just trying to get safe, all shack up in the same house, and and you have these small. Uh, communities of survivors trying to live and work together in order to survive. And we follow 
both the trip downriver and Sandra Bullock's characters um, struggle for survival. Right, uh, you kind of alternate between, um, you know, up to a high credit. point. Yeah, a high point in the trip downriver, and then for five years earlier of the events that um, led to the current situation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right, and eventually it catches up to itself. Right, not not giving away too much, you know, because it's still you know on Netflix, and you know I guess some people haven't seen it yet. Yeah, uh, maybe this the spoiler free aspect of this is for the like six people who haven't seen it. Right. So um, now, did you get a chance to read the book? Uh, I got about uh, twenty one pages in or so. Um before showtime didn't really have a lot of time since I couldn't pick it up till Friday. <laughs> right. So I didn't, I didn't get too much of a chance, but what I had gotten to was pretty spot on. I didn't get into any of the explanation of the event or anything like that. Um, or any of the, the survival aspect. Okay. Just, just curious. Right, so I have no basis of comparison when I say this this didn't work or that didn't work or this worked well, really well. I do. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> I, I yeah, I read the book last week. Now, this this is also one of those rare episodes where we actually have a split opinion on yes. the thing that we are are reviewing. Um, mm-hmm. You liked the film, um, uh, and and you enjoyed the book. Yeah, and I did not like the film at all, and the book. One of the reasons, probably, why I wasn't deeper in it, just the prose did not grab me. Fair enough. Um, it to, to talk about that for a minute. Um, what I what I found in the early sections of the book is that it's written in very uh, short, almost kind of choppy sentences, very staccato kind of prose. And it just failed. That and, you know, there was, I had no type of uh, draw to the situation. And on you, watching, didn't, you, you didn't like the movie, so. Right. Well, I watched the movie after I started trying to read the book. So I kind of have like two separate experiences here. Uh, I, I watched watch the, the movie. movie. I watched the movie and then read the book and then watched the movie again. Ah, see, I watched the movie yesterday. So, um, my caveat about liking this movie is that I did not like the ending. Hmm. Um, and that is not a breaking thing for me because I don't like the ending of most things. Right. Um, but this was like, the ending was pretty poor. I I hung with the movie. It gets a little drawn out in the middle, mm-hmm. um, especially after um, the shit goes down in the house. Right. Um, it gets a little boring, I guess. Um, so after the big the big cull happens, um, and there's this period where um, Mallory, who is Sandra Bullock, and uh, Tom. Mm-hmm. Are raising the kids and you know trying to establish some a life for themselves in this post-apocalyptic blind nightmare. 
and that didn't do it for me mainly and it's funny because in the book completely different Mm. there is no tom and the events that happen between the sack of the house and the 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 river are completely 100 percent different well, yeah, I mean, I suppose to make a film these days, you have to shoehorn in some type of romance uh, just to get it to appeal to the most broad audience. Yes, and then it definitely was the, um, I guess, the, the it, it was hinted. There wasn't a romance in the book, but there could have been. Mm-hmm. And the film, because it's a film, decided that that was going to happen. Right. So, I mean, but you know what? That's a criticism of every film ever fucking made. So, once again, not a deal breaker for me because every film ever made puts has some stupid romance in there that has nothing to do with the the book that it's based off of. I'm looking at you, Hobbit. (laughs) (laughs) Hobbit. Three movies where two shit, would have shit, I'm, al- I'm also looking. I'm also looking at uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yep. So, love never dies. Hell, they put yeah. it in the fucking subtitle. Yeah. So, once again, um, it's criticism. It's unnecessary, but uh, and and honestly, I think it kind of detracts from Sandra Bullock's character. Hmm. Um. But whatever right it's a it's a film right um now for me watching the film it really played too much on the same uh even though it's not a it's not really a zombie movie it plays on the same tropes as every zombie movie it definitely does as a matter of fact it kind of reminded me of the beginning of um, the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Very much. Uh, it also kind of reminded me of Walking Dead, just because it focused so much on them trying to figure out a way just to survive. And right. it focused on this the core group of characters. You know, is, is every, every horror situation, um, particularly a, a zombie apocalypse or nuclear war or invasion of the United States or anything like that Wolverine. usually has. I'm sorry. Wolverines. Wolverine, Red Dawn, anything like that. You get um, usually six characters mm-hmm. crammed into a house. Because that's probably all that the human brain can um, keep together. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't want to keep track of. You can't make a two, two hour, two hour, fifteen minute movie with, with, uh, you know, the interpersonal relationships of thirty characters in a single house. No, but then you always you have the same kind of archetypes throughout the entire group of survivors. <laughs> you know? It's it's road rules, real world. Mm-hmm. Bird box challenge. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It, it, it turns in, it turns into you know not only every zombie movie but every kind of reality show. You know, you have the right wing dude, almost conspiracy kind of guy. You have the religious guy. You have the normal people. 
You have queen bitch. You have the sweet girl. You have the nice guy. And it's pretty much what you have in Bird Box. And they die in a predictable order. Yes. And that happens, um, like you said, that is a trope. I will say that in the book, it is the dynamics of the house are not like that at all. Right. And that's, um, you, that's fine. I it, mean, doesn't, it doesn't rely on um, stereotypes to drive uh, the story mm. at that point. Um, but to be honest with you, I don't mind that. I mean, it's kind of like what you expect out of a movie like that. Right. Um, maybe it's lazy writing. Um, but I, I think that the source material isn't movie friendly enough mm-hmm. um, to be able to support uh, the characters as is. True. And also you have the whole gimmick of the story is, is monsters that you can't see. Right. Um, and they are not shown. They're not. You and, because, um, and, and that helps support the illusion that to see them is to die so maybe the audience doesn't want to see these creatures either. Right. Um, I actually like the fact that you don't see the monster. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some genres of film where you want to see the monster. Um, this is not one of those genres of films. This, to me, uh, the premise is, is, and I hate to use the word, so I won't, very old school weird fiction where yeah where you have um this premise of like some unnameable creature and lo and behold they choose not to name it <laughs> right <laughs> In, instead of like you know going through all the motions and skirting around it like happens in a lot of, of films where you see like something in shadow mm-hmm. or something um this they just you know um the most you get really is a swirling of leaves in their presence um, you get a little bit of like um, subliminal chatter, mm-hmm. um, like they can get into your brain, and maybe a shadow passing over the window, right? Um, which is just enough to to like put you on high alert while when the scene's going on, right? It's enough to it's enough to indicate to the audience that these things do have a physical presence, right? in in whatever scene they appear in but they don't always seem to have a physical presence um there are a lot of instances in the in the movie where characters are forced to look and there's nothing to indicate the presence of the things actually being there right um yeah, which kind of makes them makes it a little, I guess, a little creepier. You know that they'll, you know, you tear open the window and you just look outside, and one must be standing right right in front of the window. Right. Uh, I will say one interesting thing about the film was the makeup effect they used for actually looking on the creatures. Yeah, it was really creepy. That it affects it. It literally changes your eyes. Yes, I like your your pupils dilate, your irises um, subtly change, mm-hmm. um, like almost kaleidoscope. Yeah, like, you get this kind of uh, interesting variegation in the color of the irises. 
which becomes one of the ways people check to see if because later on in the film spoiler there's this kind of almost cult that is developing around people who have looked at these creatures and survived yeah it's it's implied that if you are already insane and you see this creature these creatures that you can't get more insane so mm -hmm. you end end up uh, becoming like a a follower right they're 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 so beautiful they all describe them as as being beautiful right it's it's beautiful it's beautiful um but otherwise it's just like pretty basic your basic survival horror situation and i think that while that might work in the book it leads to several moments where the exact same tension is repeated and it's repeated in a pattern um you have a tense moment out in the world where either you're evading the creatures or evading someone who's been affected by the creatures and then it flashes back to being at home and there's you know detentions in the house um this is one of the few movies I would say John Malkovich's presence does not improve the film. Funny because I'm not like I don't give a shit one way or the other about John Malkovich. Well, I I, I enjoy John Malkovich in general, but then again, I've also watched Secretariat like eight times in the last couple weeks. Yeah, you just admitted that. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's not a bad movie. It's just not something we do on this show. That's true. Now, the timing of this film very, very strange because it comes on the tail of um, what some people consider to be a very similar movie, which would be um, a Quiet Place. Right, which I've I've seen a uh, week before last. I actually watched it to um, kind of do a comparison, mm -hmm. and they're completely different movies they're completely they really, different movies. they really have absolutely nothing to do with each other except for um they both have to do with the senses i guess well they both have to do with the senses they're both survival horror situations and they both involve child endangerment well i mean everything involves child endangerment these days right I suppose so, but tonally they they are similar. They're not necessarily similar in plot, because in a quiet place, it's it's creatures that you do see. Well, and and in a quiet place, theory. in the quiet place, the onus is uh, is on the people. You can't make noise, but you can go around and do whatever you, the fuck you want as long as you don't make noise. Right. Which, right. Can't really do whatever you want because you. But I mean, if you can, like, man, right? But if you can manage, and the the people in the movie manage to do a lot of shit without quote making noise, and, they have a, they farm without making noise, so. right? But also, but also, uh, you know, in Bird Box, the everyone gets by pretty well blindfolded. Right. Because you don't have to be blindfolded all the time. You only have to be blindfolded when you're outdoors. 
really. Oh, yeah, you can, yes. You can shield off your windows as long as you can't see outside. The creatures are very polite. That's right. They do not come into anyone's home. Uh, no. Unless they're invited. And that's that's actually part of the book, not the, the film. Mm. Um, and that was half tongue-in-cheek. But to get back to the, 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 the creatures themselves, you don't know why they're doing what they're doing. You don't know... You know what they are are they aliens are they extra dimensional creatures are they things that have always been you know around and finally decided to reveal themselves you don't know and it really doesn't matter or are they something that um was either created by man or released yeah. by man's activities right you, you just you, there's no way of knowing um there's one theory that they that um is put forth fairly early on in the movie um, by Little Rel Howery uh, that they are uh, demons and we human humanity failed some cosmic test and this is the, the retribution for it. Right, right. Judgment Day. Yeah. Um, but is, is that what is actually going on? I'm going to guess like a lot of people are going to say yes because it was said in the movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um it was said by someone who is of um questionable um sanity to begin with he was right. kind of an unstable guy who's saying that which is also kind of a trope usually in these films the the uh religious nut is the unstable one mm -hmm. right and he was even questions like oh well where'd you learn about all this uh you know in college uh no i read it on the internet he said, no. not college per se. Not college per se. Wikipedia. <laughs> right. You know, it, I laughed a little bit. Right. But, I mean, you're immediately, you know, his his theory is immediately questioned. Right. Because of his, his uh, you know, honesty about the source material. Right. Now, to me, this film... And I, I'm viewing it as as like a a, a weird tale situation, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to a modern horror film. Um, it hits all the right buttons for that, except for the ending. I can't defend that ending at all. Yeah, that the ending was a little too neat. Um, and of course, you know it. I don't if it is how similar is the ending to the ending of the book. Uh, it's kind of similar. Mm. Uh, it's the book is a little bit darker tonally, I guess. Right. Um, the way the way the film ends is very um, upbeat. Right. Very upbeat. After a scene pulled straight from the first Evil Dead. <laughs> kind of. There was the, the forest did not rape Mallory. No. <laughs> So, no, but there was a lot of running and screaming and hold on to me, hold on to me, beating on the door while Unseen Thing was plowing through the fucking woods. Yes. And, well, you know, it's a classic. You gotta give homage to the classics. But Sandra Bullock is no Bruce Campbell. That's true. That is true. Um. So, yeah, so 
aside from the ending um and and the fact that it was a little slow you could have cut off maybe 15 20 minutes of filler in the in the middle mm -hmm. and it and i think it would have been a really really good movie as it stands it's a good movie uh i could have been really good if you had just tweaked a couple of things right and change it and change the ending all right it did not have to be two hours and 15 minutes no uh, there are certain situations, um, particularly in horror, where less is more. I mean, yeah. I know there's a trend in modern cinema to try to make everything, you know, over the two-hour mark. Yeah, I don't know why. I think that's like two hours is my absolute limit. Right. And and there's certain movies where, where sure, you have to do that. You, you know, the story you're trying to tell needs to be told in two and a half hours or whatever. You know, like The Hobbit in six hours. Right. Exactly. Or, you know, Lord of the Rings. Each of those movies was pushing three. You know, and they cut out shit and added shit. And But, you know, a, a movie like Bird Box really only needed to be an hour and a half. Yeah, I agree. That could have been, like I said, you could have cut out a lot of the filler mm -hmm. in the middle. You could have got um, cut out 45 minutes of this. Change the ending, and it would have been great instead mm -hmm. of just good. Um, it would have been better, uh, you know, and maybe my opinion of it would have been different if it was shorter and, and kind of got to the point instead of meandering about a little bit. Um, you know, even... Even certain things like um, the dude on the river was kind of an unnecessary sequence. Mm, that happened in the book. It might have happened in and the book. And I know but... why it happened in the book. And I think it would have been... I think they should have kept that. Because you had to have stuff happen on the river. Mm -hmm. Stuff had to happen on the river. It was just a boring fucking raft trip. Right. So... Keep that and take out the end of the supermarket scene. Yeah. Because you, you establish that. What, what that's set to do is establish there are people out there who are affected differently and worship these things. Right. That's what the guy on the river does. Right. right. And that sets up Gary. Right. Right. So you did need the end of the grocery store to happen. Because mm -hmm. it, it just it does nothing but reiterate um, uh, uh, that fact. Same thing with the gang um, mm -hmm. at the at the end of the middle section. Right. Right. Yes, we know there are people out there who worship um, these things. Mm -hmm. So to to keep on hammering in the, their presence does absolutely nothing what the book ended up doing was um gary's presence mm -hmm. um what kind of haunted the the rest of that book after hit after what happened with him um and she kept on always talking about how because he he doesn't end up dying spoiler right. alert sorry doesn't end up dying in the book and he's out there and she's completely afraid of him for four years, which is a lot more powerful than running into randos who, who are, you know, crazies who worship these things. Right. But they also kind of uh, indicate certain kinds of people 
I think you alluded to earlier that certain kinds of people become these cultists. Uh, the fellow at the grocery store was an ex-con. Um, the guy on the river was like a mountain man sort. And, uh, you know, Gary was probably some type of shady accountant or business executive or something like that. So okay. tycoon. Well, well, Gary talks about how there was an escape from a mental institution. So mm -hmm. my, my assumption was like all these crazies were, um, you know, people who had escaped whatever the mental institution was and were wandering around looking at these things and worshiping it. Right. And that, that, that's where that came from. I, I don't know because, uh, well, he didn't look at any, I was going to say right. Robert, is that his name? Mm. Um, uh, John Malkovich. I think so. Cause that, I mean, if that was the case, man, then you'd have like half of the population would be cultists. Right. <laughs> True. I mean, look who's president. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, my wife watched most of the film with me. She she missed out on like some of the early segments. And she was not a fan either. And she posted about it on, on Facebook that, uh, you know, that she didn't like the movie. And she had this friend come along and go... You know, it was an okay movie, but after reading some reviews and some articles and commentary on it, I really understood it more. And in my mind, if you have to read commentary to get an interpretation of a film, particularly, you know, of a film where it's a monster movie where the monsters are never seen. Right. You know, you're kind of missing the whole purpose of the fact that the monsters are not explained and you're adding this level of interpretation to it for it to make sense. Yeah, it's like going in and, a, you know, in my mind, that's not really understanding a film. That's, yeah, that's like getting the cliff notes for a fellow. Right, exactly. You know, and, and you're getting you're, you're understanding it through somebody else's in subjective interpretation. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, this is a thing where, you know, I didn't do any research on the book or anything that, uh, Josh said about any meanings or, or illusions that he was trying to make through the book that carried over into the film or anything like that. You know, just taking it straight on face value, start to finish, you know, this is the, this was the film. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think really, I had right, standalone. If I had, then it would have lost some of the stuff that made it work in my own mind. You know, that these creatures are the cosmic horror creatures, right? They're unseen. You don't know their motivations. You don't, um, you know, you don't understand where they came from, why they're here. You just, you don't understand it. You're in the same book or on the same page as the people who are going through this story. Yeah. But, you know, if I went through and, you know, it's a it's an analogy for Russian meddling in the 2016 election and how society is rotting out, rotting from the inside or however. Because, you know, it was pretty clear that all of this stuff originated in Russia. Interestingly yeah, it's, enough, it's, it started in Russia. <laughs> Um, and yes, the the, uh, the the John Malkovich's character definitely had that "Make America Great Again" vibe. 
Well, hell, he even uh, riffs on the line and make the apocalypse great again. Yes. Um, well, it's interesting because a, a good, any good art should reflect its time, right? Mm -hmm. And be timeless at the same time. Good luck, artists. Have fun with that. Um, and I think this achieves that. Uh, what are our fears right now? And th does this film uh, address what our fears as, as a society are? And I think it does a really good job of that. Um, mm -hmm. we're, we're inundated um, by so much information, which three quarters of it probably more is noise. Right. And uh, we, we do like walk around, you know, metaphorically blind half the time, especially as an American. Well, not just metaphorically blind, but we're also trained to really believe our eyes more than any other senses. If we mm -hmm. see it, it's real. Yeah, it's uh like like we were talking last night after we were, after um, we were playing, and and we had, were talking about how Godzilla um, is is a great example of a monster that you need to see, mm -hmm. and how that reflected. Um, its context at the time, right? You know, Japan had just gone through uh, getting the shit kicked out of it and nuked mm -hmm. um, after World War II, and was in the middle of restoring itself. Right, and uh, the consequences of of all those actions are embodied by Godzilla. Mm -hmm. And and you had you know you had mentioned that like you know and it goes on and on every time they rebuild Godzilla comes back. Right. Yep, Godzilla. Every time they get themselves back to the twenty twentieth or twenty first century, as far as technology and buildings and stuff like that, Godzilla comes back and wipes them out again. And yeah, I and think that is, a, I think that is a, a historical fear because of the the Western cycle of history uh, in the in the twentieth century and Japan, you know, being getting involved in the rest of the world's affairs. Uh, through their alliance with Germany, mm -hmm. uh, really kind of got themselves caught up in that cycle because, you know, in the early part, it was Germany tried to take over the world and they got bombed back into the Middle Ages by, you know, every other country. And that, that happened in World War One. It happened in World War Two, And everybody, you know, Japan was on the other side. They were trying to take over the Pacific. And then we came along and dropped Fat Man and Little Boy on mainland, and that changed the whole dynamic of the situation. Yeah. And so Godzilla, being the product of nuclear testing, being this this monster that was unleashed on the world, and you know the nuclear bomb is, you know, still a monster that lurks out in the world. Yeah. And I think and I think that's what's contributed to Godzilla's long enduring popularity. Right. And and it's really it's why those old um, original Godzilla movies are just fantastic films, even though they're cheesy as all fuck, mm -hmm. why they're fantastic. And you can't recapture that magic in the modern era with all the technology and, and, you know, abilities that we have to make movies. Right. It's just not the same because that's not Japan's reality right now. Well, that's not Japan's reality. It's not really our reality. Yeah. Because, yeah, Godzilla was extremely popular even through the 80s, which was 30 years ago. Right. Because we all feared 
that, you know, Russia was going to come along and bomb us. Yep. You know, the, the, the 80s were pretty much the, the at once the, the continued height of the Cold War and the end of the Cold War. Right. And now in America, our greatest enemies are ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, and so we get films like this where, um, you know, the, 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 the good guys, the protagonists are helpless mm -hmm. um, against these powerful forces. And uh, the, the most damage comes from within. Mm -hmm. I think that's what contributed to the uh, zombie craze of the early 2000s. I think you're completely 100% correct. Because and I, I think that that's a lot of that, why this film is structured similarly to a, a zombie flick. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it hits all the, it hits all the same um, story notes as, as a zombie flick. But even in a zombie movie, you know, that is, you know, you're, you're fighting against yourself. You know, you're a few people in this, in this landscape where the majority of what's left is is out to get you right but it's always it's always like somebody within your own group mm -hmm. tensions within the group that ends up um letting the zombies in or what or whatever right in, letting in, the zombies in, in or in, in, in the good ones right <laughs> um i mean that's why romero was such a genius with night of the living dead because that movie wasn't about zombies that movie was about you know five or six people in a farmhouse mm -hmm. like were, hated each other and right. had to work together to survive and couldn't right and this was a uh, bird box was really kind of the modern updating of a zombie film all you know um or the uh the virus viral infection strain of a zombie film right rather than the supernatural walking dead sort of thing it's you know the madness is you know infectious right and the, anybody the, you come across could you know once the dynamic changed and you started getting these cultist characters they pretty much became zombies right and you had a kind of a physical manifestation of the virus itself right so Personally, I think that the overuse of the cultists in the film detracted mm. from it. Just, right. just to re reiterate that. <laughs> right. It would have but, been more powerful, but I've already said that. Right, right. I, and I think it would have been a little more powerful um, without the without all the flashbacks. Um, you know, I, th I would have thought it would have been a little more interesting movie without a lot of the backstory you know See, if i had known less about mallory and the kids i think i probably would have enjoyed the movie a little bit more simply because the the backstory got a little tiring because it ran through all of the same tropes and whatnnot See, that that's, I, that's and the middle topic. part i'm telling you that's the middle part that could have been like horribly foreshortened and mm -hmm. made for a better movie Right. Yeah, the middle part. Well, really, the kind of beginning, too, because, you know, 
people get a lot of flack for saying the word unlikable when they're talking about characters. Mm -hmm. But I think that particularly in a survival horror situation, you kind of have to feel something for the protagonist. Sure. They're in remarkable situation and they have to do something, but I think you kind of want them to survive. And while Mallory did grow over the course of the film, which doesn't happen in a lot of these movies, um, you know, you start off, you know, like like I mentioned yesterday, I was about 30, 45 minutes into the movie, and I just wanted everybody to die. I was like, come on. Where <laughs> these people already? It's interesting because in the book, um, Mallory does not start off as that um, unlikable character that she starts off in the movie as. Mm -hmm. um, she is more of a like a like a twenty something person who just hasn't um, really started their life mm -hmm. um, and ends up getting pregnant and and thrust into this situation and as it goes on uh, she becomes more and more independent right and becomes more of a, of a complete human being um, and that's her her arc mm -hmm. um, and this she just gets to be more likable kind of kind of <laughs> but you know it's, it's one of those things that you don't have to uh write and and it's possible that they were trying to write sandra bullock's character mallory as an independent woman but in a lot of ways you know some people come off writing independent women as just writing callous people yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll you know do that. that. You know, there's, you can be, you can be a good human being and be independent. You don't have to be this, you know, callous. I don't care, kind of person. Um, right. well, I don't know if she was like an I don't care person. I think she was more of a um, just distant, right. and reserved. Um, but and, you know, really, I think she she just didn't like other people. She was a misanthrope. Right. Well, she she could be a misanthrope, and that's fine, and that's fine because she wasn't re truly independent. Because you know, she had her sister. Her sister went grocery shopping for her. Right. So you know, there may have been something else deeper going on there that you know they just didn't bother touching on, or ended up on the cutting room floor because they said, well, you know, it's two hours <laughs> it's two and a half hours long, you know, we don't, you know, we don't need to tell everybody that, uh, you know, Mallory has severe social anxiety and, you know, this sort of thing, or has some kind of like minor dissociative syndrome. But yeah, I mean, as soon as the people got together in the house, I'm like, okay, who dies first? Let's let's take it. Place your bets, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Deadpool. Who's gonna die first? Well, I mean, do you count the the wife, John Malkovich's wife? Uh no, she was she was a plot device right. you know, to, to set up at least one partial relationship between Mallory and the rest of the house. Uh, and and was the the homeowner? Does he count the homeowner? 
the homeowner counts because he was there longer than the wife was. And okay. he was he was the generous and compassionate one who always dies first. Stoner always dies. Oh, actually, the black guy always dies first. Died second in this one. Right. No, they killed the gay guy first. Yes. So, you know, they they kept they kept with the pattern sort of. But they they really kind of they faked you out with Malkovich's character. Because even though Malkovich what his his character, I forget what his name is. I think it's Robert. Robert or whatever. You know, even though his character was antagonistic toward the group, um, he was they, they set him up and you're like thinking to yourself, yes, this guy is gonna be the one that betrays somebody. Right. He ends but up being right. Right. He ends up not only being right, he's he's paranoid. So of course, you know, the paranoid guy usually ends up being, you know, see, I told you so in pretty much every situation. But he also ends up being um, not the guy that betrays the whole group, uh, possibly being the one person who could have helped could prevent have the betrayal of the group. Right. But they turned on him. Not the greatest message. Mm-hmm. No. Which really, if you wanted to go with that whole interpretation, you know, the most right-wing character being the only one that's right, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well. And all the, all the, liberal folks just shut him out put him in the garage and he can't he can't lift a finger to help because he's been locked out of the whole social dynamic yep poor poor robert got the last laugh with a with the well, scissors sticking out of his chest oh see that was the part i i, I skipped it a little bit because they opened his they opened the garage and i was like okay he's gone <laughs> Oh no, he he was uh he he come on. There's a button inside the garage to close it. Right. Don't look out the door and push the button. Oh, you know. There there yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. You are supposed to think that he's gonna go and uh he comes and he doesn't and he comes through. And ends up getting scissors in his chest. And he ends up getting scissors. But he does save the day. I mean, he does, well, not save the day, but he uh, makes it so that Mallory and the two babies don't don't uh, see the thing. Right. The heroic see, sacrifice. Now, I don't like, see, completely different. In, the whole That whole sequence goes down completely differently in the book. Mm. And it's, it's a lot cooler in the book. Um, my problem is that you're looking out the window on the second floor. These things must be huge. Right. But I guess you don't know. There's no way of knowing. There's no way of knowing. It's just implied that these things are, they're big. Um, they're solid enough to set off the parking sensors on a car. And, and physically move, shake the car. And physically shake the car. So they must be large and powerful creatures. Um, 
possibly composed of a type of color that is unseen to the human eye. Could be, could be a uh, matter from another dimension. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 funny going on Facebook and seeing the reactions of some of the weird fiction people. Mm-hmm. Um, who, from what I understand, most of them don't like it. Right. Uh, and and it's funny because, like, to me, this is like a weird fiction movie. Right, you, you, but you know, I think there's there's other folks who are like, oh yeah, that's great, it's great. Um, it's certainly in that that caliber of horror films that um, you know, A Quiet Place and Annihilation were supposed to fall into, being this kind of smart horror. I don't see how it's how any of these movies are quote smart horror. I don't I don't know what that means then, because to me. Um, they're just, you know, just more films. Right. I mean, they don't, I don't think any of these films bring anything new to the table. Um, well, I mean, you know, you've already heard my criticism of it being pretty much every other zombie movie without zombies. No, I mean, it's, um, so, it's a fu- so in it's that a, respect, it is not bringing anything new to the table. I, I mean, what's, I don't understand what's smart about any of them. And I'm including um, Quiet Place and Annihilation in this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I don't see anything new in any of them. Right. I, you know, I don't know where the qualification comes from, but that's just kind of the vibe that I get from hearing people talk about it. I mean, to me, it just seems that like, it's a movie based on this guy's first book. Mm-hmm. Um, Which and... good on him for that, because you know, it writing books is is a tough market to get into. It's a tough career to try to start for yourself, and then to to get a movie deal and get a very high profile movie deal out of it off your first book. Good on you. Yeah, so I'm. I mean, I'm just wondering if, like, part of it has to do with professional jealousy of people slogging away, you know, submitting short stories to obscure presses, and uh, you know, not getting a Netflix movie. Well, maybe, maybe that's that's part of why um, you're not getting the smart horror classification because. You know, it is a weird fiction story, and we've read hundreds. Yeah, that's that's true. And and we've read many good ones that do similar things that do in some and in some cases do similar things better. Um, so you know that it's it is kind of old hat for a a lot of the folks in the weird fiction community, a lot of the people, you and I. Um, since we're probably ostracized from the weird fiction community. Oh, we're blackballed just from the company (laughs) we keep. But, so so that type of thing is old hat. So for people who are, you know, into, you know, zombie movies, vampire movies, the more traditional, quote-unquote, horror stuff, you know, it is something new. Oh. One guy, I'm not going to name names um, on the positive or the negative of any of this, um, had said that this 
he did, he didn't understand why people were bitching about this movie uh, because something like this, you know, the flood raises all boats. That was his his quote. Well, uh, and that's sort of true. Well, if if you know if this movie you know does well outside of the weird fiction community, it can generate interest. Mm-hmm. In weird fiction, and have and and have other people's properties looked into. Um, I'm going to go right out and say it. I enjoyed this movie more than I did Annihilation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the same the same thing was said about Annihilation with the flood raising all boats. Right. Um, but I don't think it was a good enough movie to raise shit. Um, Sorry, I mean, I I just didn't think it was a good movie. Um, And I don't think, I think people outside of the weird fiction community didn't think it was a good movie, and it flopped. Right, and the studio didn't think it was a good movie, or or at least a project worth continuing to pursue. Right. Simply because the release of the film was only the United States and China, and it went directly to Netflix everywhere else. Um, so there was no real faith of this type of story, this type of narrative catching on. Right. And this yeah, was strictly Netflix everywhere. And from what I understand, it's really popular. Mm-hmm. So, you know. And Netflix is pushing it very hard. I mean, every time I go to watch Netflix. Fuck, it, I've watched it twice. <laughs> right. You've watched it twice, and it is like stuck up in my face every time right. I click on Netflix. Well, and I'll tell you what. Logan watched it, mm-hmm. not with me, separately. So, you know, from our IP address, you have three views. Right. So, and there you go. It is what it is. Now, are, now, are people going to say, hey, I like this movie. It was a good movie. Um, I, I'm more, I want to know more. I want to read more stuff. Are they going to, like, go out and go, oh, what are some other weird fiction that I can read? Oh, who's this Jeffrey Thomas? Well, you also have to think that a lot who's of folks, Joe Pulver, right? Well, with the with a few exceptions, um, who's Anya Martin? I'm right. just throwing names out there. Of just weird names fiction. of folks that we enjoy. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, by and large, a lot of those who's Molly Tanzer. Well, sorry. With, with the exception of Molly Tanzer, um, can you can't find on the basic channels? I mean, you don't go, you can't go into Barnes and Noble um, and find Joe Pulver or, or Jeffrey Thomas or anyone, unless you go and you uh, remember Annihilation and go, okay, Jeff Vandermeer, and you look and you find the anthology, The Weird, and see that it was edited by Jeff Vandermeer and something well. like in your head. Not necessarily, because like if you let's say you decide you want to buy Bird Box on Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. And they have uh, let's just do this while I'm on here. See what they what else they recommend? Bird Box, okay. Bird Box and books, boom. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll click on it and format, blah blah blah. What else? Uh, okay, so you get Suicide Forest by Jeremy Bates, The Girl Who Lived by Christopher Grayson, That Month in Tuscany by Ingolith Cooper, Gilchrist. You know, you get like these 
I haven't heard of any of these people, but you know, that's the whole point, right? Right. That you you have, you know, the interest comes with the algorithm, I guess. I, right? I suppose, I suppose, and you know, the algorithm controls all. Well, I mean, that's crazy how algorithm. I, well, if you don't know uh, someone's name. How do you find out about them? True. True. You have to do a little bit of research, and that's like an avenue of research is the customers also bought. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. Uh, so if you, you enjoy this this film and you end up being you know intrigued and want to want to know more. And that's how you get to other authors. Or you listen to this podcast because you just name dropped five. I did. I name dropped a shitload of very, very good uh, weird fiction authors. Mm Mm-hmm. Who all have some of which are available on Amazon. (laughs) Some of them have new books recently published. That's right. Anya Martin and Molly Tanzer. That's right. Uh Sleeping with the monster and creatures of will and temper. No, no. It's the other one, wanton ruin. Wanton ruin. <laughs> will and temper and wanton ruin, respectively. Right. But there so, you go. If you if you did enjoy Bird Box, please look and and dig a little deeper to find more of the modern authors who are engaging in similar uh thematic elements to their stories Mm -hmm. Uh, because they are out there and it is it is a long-running tradition it's a small tradition but yeah it's out there books are being published all the time yeah uh, from these folks and they're not as difficult to obtain as maybe they once were no, especially, yeah, especially now when you have the algorithm. Right, you have the algorithm, you have you the Kindle and I, iTunes. Mm-hmm. And just a search engine where you can just type in, you know, weird fiction or you know, weird stories or whatever. Yeah. And that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. In the land of no goes. So really, you know, if if a flood is going to raise all boats, you just got to tear down the dam and let the flood come. I'm just saying that a, a something being being published or or you know uh, released and generating this much interest is good for the genre as a whole. Hmm. As opposed to uh, something like this uh, being released because, like, some some guy wrote a book, you know, and didn't pay his dues, so fuck him. Right. But one of the problems is is that the system gets a hold of something like this, and you know, you will see competitors knockoffs going, "Hey, you know." This big bird box, really hot right now. 
Write me that right. novel. <laughs> Pounded in the butt by a box of birds. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that that leans more toward the parody and satire angle. But you know, you do get, um, you do get kind of knockoffs. Yeah, I mean that. That's how not just not just you know novels that that riff on the concept or variations on a theme, but you'll get you know probably Netflix on Netflix alone, probably four or five similar films right. from all over the world. No, I'm sure you will. You know, you'll get one about a dog. Oh, dog ear, earbud. <laughs> earbud can't can't look. He has to use his air to get around. Airbud at the end of the world. <laughs> it's so cute. I'd watch that. A pup, a pup calypse. <laughs> a pup calypse. <laughs> oh my god, that's horrible. Snowpiercer dogs. Yeah, I've yet to watch Snowpiercer. Maybe we'll do Snowpiercer one day. All right, so that does it for our discussion of Bird Box. Um, I say your mileage may vary. Um, Steve, Steve enjoys it. Uh, check it out. You know, if you want, let us know what you think. Uh, Microphonesmadness@gmail.com. Or hit us up on the Facebook page, Facebook slash Microphones Madness. And until next time, keep 30 luck points. Yeah, keep 30.